number two underway, the Pete Callender Show, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I want to welcome to the program Charlton Allen. He is a candidate for the North Carolina Court of Appeals, seat 11. If that matters to you, it's seat 11. Uh, he's running in the Republican primary. His opponent, uh, we had him in the other day, uh, Michael State, uh, Statting, rather. Uh, but Charlton Allen now joins us. Hey, Charlton, how are you? Good afternoon. Happy Friday the 13th. That's right. Uh, and to you as well, whatever that entails. Do you do anything special for, for Fridays the 13th throughout the year? No, I, I'm not superstitious. Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> Just like go and find as many black cats uh, to, to walk across or uh, uh, ladders to walk under, so that sort of thing. Uh, so how is the so first off, um, you're running for this uh, Court of Appeals seat, uh, and I got to uh, ask uh, your time on what the North Carolina Industrial Commission, um, you cite this as uh, ex, uh, as experience for your role if you were to win on the Court of Appeals. So what exactly is the Industrial Commission and how does that experience there connect to the Court of Appeals? Great question. The Industrial Commission is one of the largest tribunals in the state. It is the duly constituted court for the hearing of tort claims against the state of North Carolina. So if someone sues the state of North Carolina for negligence, they don't file it at the courthouse. They file it with the Industrial Commission. And also the Industrial Commission is the Tribunal for Workers' Compensation, which is a huge part of you know, litigation in the state uh, and other matters within the jurisdiction of the commission. It is, like I said, one of the largest tribunals in the state of North Carolina, um, probably, I, I would say it's larger than any of the county court systems, uh, whether district court or superior court, because there you know, are six commissioners and um, about 22, 23 deputy commissioners that hear cases all through the state of North Carolina. So how do you get on to that commission? You are appointed by the governor. Ah. Uh, I was appointed by former Governor McCrory and served until... Uh, my successor, who was appointed by Governor Cooper, um, was um, you know duly qualified, which was uh, last year. Gotcha. Um, all right. So you you're also uh, you're an attorney, private mm-hmm. practice as I'm well. A, I'm an attorney. I've been an attorney for 25 years. I'm also a certified mediator. So I help resolve people um, with litigation. Help resolve their cases for them. Okay. Uh, all right, so why uh, do you have any experience as a judge in your past as well, or is, is it the commission in the uh, private practice? Uh, it's primarily the commission. Yeah. Uh, you know, the commissioners, which I was one, and also chairman of the commission, are subject to the Code of Judicial Conduct, just like judges are. Okay. And as a consequence, you know, we hear cases. Uh, as a commissioner, I, you know, reviewed a case based upon the cold record, just like the judge on the Court of Appeals. Uh, and, you know, it, interesting, you know, comparison. Your uh, di- district court civil cases, typically there is a uh, threshold limit of $25,000. Uh, you know, and after that, it has to be filed in Superior Court. With the Industrial Commission, uh, workers' compensation cases are unlimited in the dollar amount. And a state court claim is $1 million per claimant. So we do a lot of the heavy lifting, uh, or, or and I did when I was a commissioner, um, in, in cases that uh, do not go through the typical court system. 
So um, what is the biggest challenge you think that the state judiciary, specifically, I guess, the Court of Appeals, but I'll expand it out to the entire judiciary, uh, that, that that branch of government is facing right now? There is a great problem with judicial activism, and that's something I you know, handled and you know, took on you know, 100% as a commissioner at the Industrial Commission, particularly as Cooper's appointees you know, started to take office. You know, we are supposed to follow the law. We're not supposed to legislate from the bench. And all too often, judges in this state legislate from the bench. More often than not, those are the Democrat judges, but there also are Republican judges that will legislate from the bench. And that is wrong, in my view. Yeah. I consider, I consider myself a you know, you know, judicial officer when I serve in that capacity along the lines of Antonin Scalia. And, you know, he said, and I learned this quote right after he passed away, and it sums up my judicial philosophy well. When you follow the law, you will often reach an outcome in a case that you don't personally like. But that's the right outcome as a judge. You're not not elected as a legislator. Those folks have that authority to change the laws. You're not there to change laws. You're not there to repeal a law. You are there to follow the law. And only under you know, egregious circumstances where a law was passed unconstitutionally uh, or violates one of our fundamental rights uh, should you get into that lane. So you've uh, you've gone after your opponent, uh, Michael Stanning, um, uh, who's a judge here in, in Mecklenburg County, uh, gone after him for his party affiliation switches. Right. Yes. Um, and yes. you see this as a problem. Uh, and because why he's he's gone from unaffiliated to Democrat or yeah yeah unaffiliated to Democrat then to Republican uh, then back to Democrat then back to Republican over the course of uh, what eight years or something like that so um, and this is a problem for you I, yeah it's a problem for me yeah you know, I'm a lifelong Republican I'm a lifelong conservative and you know my ideology is fixed it is hinged to conservatism. It is hinged to conservative judicial philosophy. And, you know, it causes me grave concern, whether it's for a court of appeals, another appellate court race, whether it's for state house or state senate, when you have a politician who has switched parties four times in eight years. You know, that to me, that is what is wrong with politicians. You know, they are bending with the wind. They're not standing on principle. They're not standing for what is right. They're trying to, you know, reach for the next rung in the ladder, or they're trying to find jobs for their buddies, or they're just trying to win the next election. They're not there holding themselves and adhering themselves to the Constitution and what is right. So uh, in looking through the history, though, it seems to line up with that famous Anglin election year, right, 2018. Um, right where the uh, all of the Supreme Court races and the judicial races got all upended because the General Assembly changed the rules on uh, party ID being listed on the ballot. So you had judges that were running previously as unaffiliated. They now had to sign up to run as Republicans or whatever. And so people were sh- there was a lot of shifting going on. And in fact, Stadding seems to have fallen under sort of the same uh, carve out or same uh, same loophole that Chris Anglin did, who was the Democrat who ran for Republican. But it seems like, uh, I mean, 
he told me the other day that he was recruited to run for the office by Dan Bishop. I don't think Dan would recruit a, a lefty. Well, you know, I don't know all the particulars with that. I don't know if Congressman Bishop uh, knew about his party switches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know that you know, there are a lot of times a lot of politicians are recruiting candidates, and I, I've been in that, you know, that arena for a while. And, you know, they they are, you know, you know, looking out for their friends, looking out for their buddies. And, you know, he can speak to... You know, the particulars of how he was recruited by Congressman Bishop. You know, I, I will say this. You know, I'm a lifelong conservative, lifelong Republican. I don't switch parties. I don't, you know, he may have switched parties in 2018, from, and it was from Democrat to Republican. But there were three party switches before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, he switched from Republican to Democrat already once before. How do we know he doesn't do that again? You know, if somebody switched parties four times in eight years, they probably are thinking about a fifth or sixth time when the going gets tough. And that's you know, not my character. I stand for what is right. And, so, and well, I don't. I, don't, I, I, I don't, agree. Yeah, I absolutely understand the question being raised. But I also know, like, if you're running for a judicial race in Mecklenburg County, your your chance of winning is virtually zero as a Republican. So. Doesn't that make more sense? I mean, in, in fact, when I out in Western North Carolina, that used to happen. People had to register as Democrat because otherwise you literally could not get work. You could not get a job, not even, I mean, let alone the government sector, but the private sector, too. So people registered just because they had to. So is there is there something to that? Well, it's my understanding that in 2018, uh, you know, you know, then Senator Bishop ran through some legislation that um, you know, changed the judicial districts in Mecklenburg County, and you had some districts that were more favorable to Republicans than Democrats. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, the point is this: as a whole, you know, the political winds are always changing. You know, this year looks like it's going to be a great year for Republicans. Maybe it works out that way. Maybe it doesn't. But when the seat is up again in eight years, it may not be as favorable. And if somebody is willing to change your political stripes, you know, to win an election, that gives me great pause. It gives me great pause as to what their actual philosophy is. You know, if you're a true conservative, you have no home in the Democrat Party today. You had no home in the Democrat Party back in 2017. You had no home in 2015 when he switched from Republican to Democrat then. You know, it, it, ironically, it was about six or seven weeks after Trump announced uh, he was running for president. And my opponent switched from Republican to Democrat then. What was that all about? He didn't file for judge then. No, that's true. So uh, I got to leave it there, but I appreciate your, t- uh, your time. Charlton Allen, do you have a website you want to direct people to? Uh, charltonallen.org. Also, you can check out my Facebook page, Allen for North Carolina. I'd appreciate everybody's support the Republican primary. There you go. Good luck on the campaign trail. Thanks for your time today, Thank sir. You. All right. Take Thank care. You. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So those are the two Republican candidates running in the Court of Appeals race. You heard uh, you heard Michael Stadding the other day. You can go back and pull the podcast, listen to him and Charlton Allen, uh, his opponent. Uh, good luck on that. Uh, oh, speaking of candidates, I have a 
Apparently that interview that I did yesterday with that Democrat candidate running for U.S. Senate. Apparently. He thinks he did pretty well in that interview. He, th- he thinks he came out looking all right. And it's, it's kind of surprising to me. Um, I do have some emails that people sent. A lot of people had reactions for some reason. Uh, here is uh, Jason. He says, Pete, I am deeply disappointed that a conservative talk radio station would interview B.K. McGinnis and his best friend, Bear. No, I'm kidding. He didn't say that. He just says that he is very disappointed. B.K.'s clear and concise messaging and and well-thought-out positions make him the clear choice as the Democrat candidate, and he would no doubt destroy any Republican candidate in a debate. I also agree with his initial comments that Republicans will likely vote for him because he is honest, despite the fact that they don't agree with any of his positions. This makes him an unstoppable force in any election. BK was a relative unknown before this interview, and you, Pete, have single-handedly given the Democrats this seat with your careless decision to give him this valuable radio time. I hope you can live with this shame. I can, yes, thank you. Jason, appreciate that. Yes, I can totally live with it. Absolutely. Um, oh, and then this is on the pronouns thing. Okay, then, um, yeah, so he, uh, BK, totally thinks that he got the uh, the best of that, uh, that interview. Uh, and he uh, then says, uh, hey, how about all you keyboard warriors help me take this clown show on the road against Ted Budd? He won't do it because he's scared. It benefits all North Carolinians to hear from their candidates in person. 100 County Debate Challenge. This is the thing. He's been he's been sending out this video of him at like a, I don't know, it looks like some restaurant or something. He's talking to like four people. And he's challenging Ted Budd to a 100 County Debate, a hundred debates in a hundred days in every county. And he's challenging Ted Budd. Ted Budd doesn't even debate Republicans. You think he's going to debate you? You're not. BK McGinnis is like distant, I don't know, seventh in the field. On the Democrat side. I said, maybe you should focus on beating Sherry Beasley first. There's no point in you doing debates with Ted Budd in 100 counties. First off, if he even returned your call. Secondly, if he even agreed to one of them, let alone 100 in 100 days, while he's still doing a Republican primary, right? So he's not going to agree to that, first of all. But you, you're you not even going to clear the primary, man. And then he made some comment like, oh, yeah, I went on his show and nobody had listened to that would even vote for me. Ironically... I went out and voted in the Democrat primary after the show yesterday. And when I say voted in the primary, I'm using that term very loosely because most of the races, I did not vote in. I just, I went there. Look, I said from the beginning, I am in it to vote out Sheriff McFadden. That's what I said. That's why I went in there. I gave my vote to Gina Hicks. I am not going to give my vote to McFadden. 
I also threw a vote over to Pat Cotham, single shot. That's it. So I did. And so, but this guy actually could have won my vote yesterday. Might have. I mean, it was a very, it is a stretch. Okay. All right. Very, very long stretch. But still, I voted in the primary. It could have happened. I could have like stumbled, hit the wrong button, hit, you know, submit. It could have happened. This is going to happen now. Mark Muller in the WBT News Center. Well, thank you, Pete. Big news from the governor today concerning Internet access in North Carolina. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper, alongside U.S. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo today, making the major announcement regarding the future of broadband across the state. Part of a federal program called Internet for All. Apparently there's lots and lots of people still not on the web, and it's so very important. According to state numbers, more than a million people in North Carolina lack Internet access. In Mecklenburg County, it's about 10%. Joe Gillespie, WBT News. And a Citizens Review Board ruling in favor of a teacher and against CMPD Police Chief Johnny Jennings in a case of mistaken identity where a teacher was wrongfully identified as a suspect. The case involving Jasmine Horn. Last summer, CMPD officers handcuffed Horn and held her in a patrol car while investigating a case where a man was stabbed. CMPD released body camera video of the incident. Police got the wrong person, and the actual suspect had a... News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Sherry Beasley... The Democrat frontrunner in the race for North Carolina's open U.S. Senate seat is placing a big bet that moderate positions are going to are going to win over voters in what could be among the most expensive and competitive races in the country this November. This is a piece by Brian Anderson, Mr. Anderson, who used to work at the AP. And now he works at WRAL and uh, has covered North Carolina politics for a couple of years now. So I, I just, I reject this idea that she has moderate positions. These are not, you'll see why. All right, next sentence. The former North Carolina Supreme Court Chief Justice became her party's presumptive nominee about five months ago after her top opponents dropped out. I love this. The party's presumptive nominee. And that is ordained by whom? Would that be because Jeff Jackson dropped out, but there are still like seven or eight other candidates in that Democrat field. But because what? Party leadership or media or both don't consider those other candidates to be serious or legitimate. Okay, I realize as I'm saying this, I just interviewed one of them and yeah. But still, his message may actually resonate With most Democrats. In fact, it probably does. Uh, The the problem for him, for B.K. McGinnis and his best friend Bear, the problem for him is he's a white guy in a Democrat field. That's why I asked him yesterday, too. He's making this case that the United States Supreme Court should be, first off, packed that the the number of seats should be expanded and then packed with leftists. And those leftists need to represent 
the diversity of America based on race, gender, I guess gender identity, sex, whatever. I mean, if we don't get, you know, a, a pansexual uh, Pacific Islander, <laughs> right? we got to you got to check all the boxes. This is not me saying this either. This is him. He said that in the press release. He said it in the interview yesterday on the show. And I had to ask him just to be clear, because I don't know how people identify anymore. So I said, are you a white guy? And he said, yes. Well, wait a minute. If you're if you're argument to pack the U.S. Supreme Court is because it doesn't reflect the racial and ethnic and gender diversity that is America now, then why are you the white guy trying to keep the black woman from representing North Carolina in the U.S. Senate, which does not have a whole lot of representation among, right, black women? So why would you be doing that? Why are you trying to deprive Sherry Beasley and every other black woman in North Carolina, the, the the thing that you say we need to have on the U.S. Supreme Court. But he's a white guy, see, so he he can make that happen. She can't. He'll be he'll make sure that that happens because he he he's a he's the right kind of Democrat. Like, OK, buddy, that's that's an interesting message. You go right ahead. <laughs> Kind of, it kind of has a bit of a white savior complex thing going, right? Just a little bit, uh, just a tad, a smidge. Okay, um, <laughs> she. So she is uh, the presumptive front runner. She has since embraced the glide path to the nomination, and thinks that her progressive but not too progressive strategy will garner wider appeal than the hardline conservative front runner in the Republican primary U.S. representative. Ted Bud. Right. So note, Brian Anderson, along with his co-author here of this uh, of this tale, Lena Tillett, what they do is they they launder narratives. They regurgitate what the or or, or yeah, well they they do. They regurgitate the talking points and the uh, the framing that the Democratic Party prefers. It's not just the Democratic Party either, by the way. This also occurs in the abortion debate. I read an article about this the other day in the AP trying to tell people, you know, this is how you should use the language. And, of course, it always goes one direction. They always seek to, like, for, there's, by the way, there are new talking points that are out about the abortion debate. You don't say pro-choice anymore. You say pro-decision. That's what they're telling their the left. That's what they're telling uh, Democrats, the, uh, the 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 pro-choicers, or sorry, the pro-decisioners, the the pro-abortion, whatever. Like that's what that's the term they want to use now. Not pro-choice. They want to say pro-decision. Why they think it? They think it pulls better. They think it's less slimy or something. I don't know. They I, I don't know. I don't know why they constantly rebrand themselves. Well, I kind of do. <laughs> yeah, because when people figure out what you're for, that your name becomes so toxic or the label on your philosophy becomes so toxic, then you got to change the name of your philosophy, right? That's And that's why they go back and forth from all these different labels all the time. So, yeah, that's what they're doing now. So pay attention to the news stories you read when you start seeing the terms like 
women's health care. That was on the chart, as was uh, 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 pro-decision. I think I have it in here someplace. I'll, I'll find it during the break, and I'll run back through it. But this is another example. It's Sherry Beasley's a moderate. The hell she is. You say she's a moderate. How could you say she's a moderate? When I go through some of these things, how do you say she's a moderate? By the way, she's going to be a vote for whatever Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi want. She's going to be a freshman U.S. senator. She's going to go along with whatever they want her to go along with. And their agenda is not moderate. So even if she was moderate, even if she was, she would not vote that way. We all know this. She would vote in law. Look, they just got Bob Casey Jr. to fold on his pro-life stance to ram, uh, to ram through that bill that expanded abortion uh, until the day of the birth. So don't tell me she's not going to, that she's going to be a Joe Manchin. Are you telling me she's a Joe Manchin Democrat? Is that what you're saying? No. No. She's not a Joe Manchin Democrat. But she gets framed as a moderate. And then framing at the same time Ted Budd as the hardline conservative. Which, by the way, that word hardline, never used for progressives. You never see that term used for the leftists. Ever. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It is the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let me get Jimmy on. Hello, Jimmy. What's going on? Hey, pretty good, Pete. Hey, how are you? Uh, uh, pretty good. Are uh, you calling for, like, your old mentor, Rush Limbaugh, calling for a uh, Operation Chaos? <laughs> Was, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't calling for Operation Chaos. I literally went into the – I said – I started to thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, and I said, what primary – I assumed I was going to go vote in the Republican primary, but then the stuff with the sheriff, and I watched that debate, and I was like, this guy – this we got to get this guy out. And so I said, I'm going to go – I think I'm going to go vote in the sheriff – in the Democratic primary specifically to vote against him. And I was – I was uh, – Disappointed to learn that I could not vote in the Charlotte City Council race because if I could, I would have voted against Patrick Cannon. So I was not trying to engage in an Operation Chaos. If I was, then I would have voted for McGinnis and I would have voted for Pat Cannon, but I did not. Right. You know, Rush used to be known for just wreaking havoc on primaries and stuff like that. And so. I figured you were doing what your mentor was. No, I appreciate yeah. it. No, I, I was not. Jimmy, thanks for the call, buddy. I appreciate it. And I had to explain that to Bernie here, the producer, our resident millennial, uh, what Operation Chaos was all about, where you go into the other party's primary and you try to pick the worst candidate, right? Uh, and I, if memory serves, it was, what, 08? And the effort was to get Hillary the nomination against Obama because she was— sliding in the polls, Obama was surging, right? So it was like, we got to get into the, make sure she's the nominee, right? I think that was the deal. Um, and look, that very same thing could be going on right now out in Western North Carolina in the congressional uh, district that Madison Cawthorn's running for re-election in. You got Democrats that are deregistering. They're becoming unaffiliated. You have a lot of unaffiliateds that are also requesting Republican ballots. So we shall see. Does it have an influence? We shall see. Um, 
abortion messaging, do's and don'ts. Yeah, thank you. Uh, at Patriot Girl, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I printed it out. I guess I didn't bring it or it's in that other stack of stuff. I don't know where it is. Here it is. They've got two lists side by side. Harmful language and helpful language. Harmful language, choice. Helpful language, decision. Harmful language, reduce abortion or safe, legal, and rare. Hmm. Instead, why don't we say safe, legal, and accessible? Instead of saying conscience clause or protections, like for doctors that don't want to perform the abortions, instead of instead of saying conscience clause, let's instead say refusal of care or denial of care laws. And no more saying back alley abortions and coat hangers. No, no. We're going to start saying criminalizing health care. See, this is the messaging that they are now spreading. So when you start seeing these terms, criminalizing health care, refusal of care, denial of care laws, unexpected pregnancy instead of unwanted pregnancy, safe, legal, and accessible instead of safe, legal, and rare, and decision instead of choice, then you know that that reporter is working off of the talking points from the abortion lobbyists. Um, Sherry Beasley, by the way, no demands that she debate. Nobody is demanding Sherry Beasley debate any of her opponents while there are all these calls for Ted Budd to debate his opponents. I will get into this uh, later on in the next uh, next hour. Ten other Democrats are still running in the May 17th primary. Beasley has almost three and a half million in the bank. That is uh, 110 times more than all of the other candidates combined. In a state with almost equal numbers of Democrat, Republican, and unaffiliated voters, Beasley has been careful not to appear further to the left ideologically. No, she hasn't. What are you talking about? Has been careful not to appear further to the left? That's just right. I mean, you're just taking what they want you to frame her, what you want, what they want you to say about her, and you're just you're a stenographer at this point. On the campaign trail, she has been critical of her own party. She has also skipped recent visits to North Carolina made by President Joe Biden and Vice President Harris. Oh, so that's so the reason why so she's being more moderate. Not that she doesn't want any of that to get on her, right? She doesn't want any of the Biden stench to linger around her that's got nothing to do with it no no it's because she's she's wanted to be moderate don't you see joe biden ran as a moderate elon musk of all people today on twitter said joe biden made a mistake they did not people did not vote for him to be this massive change agent they voted for him because they wanted less drama and he has not done that and Beasley will help him do more of it. Um, Democrats certainly get credit for making sure to address COVID-19 and making measures available and also passing the bipartisan infrastructure legislation. But at a time when so many people are struggling, voters really do want more and they feel they want to feel some imminent relief right now. <gasps> oh, my gosh, what a moderate position. No, she just didn't say anything at all is what she did there. But it's such a moderate position. Oh, my gosh. She's like a blank slate. I could write whatever I want upon her. 